What's up, what's up, what's up? Hello everyone. I'm so excited about this show. We have carved out a place to give a voice for the voiceless. To promote the unheard. Make sure you hit that subscribe button because we have a lot of really good future episodes coming up. This is a place for community organizers and activists to promote their ideas. Will, what do you have planned? Today we're going to be talking about some overlooked highlights that really get overlooked in our mainstream media. They might touch on the subjects, but they don't really delve into them. They try to keep your minds pointed to whatever's going on that's important to them at the time. So we'll go over some of them that stood out to us this past week. We'll also talk to Marie Shingleton, who is running for mayor here in Huntsville, Alabama. And we'll also be talking to Keith Young who is a leader of the Black Lives Matter movement here in Huntsville, Alabama. What do you have planned for the show, Joe? Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some environmental highlights that came up. We're also going to talk about what you can expect on future episodes. I'm here with Will Cuz. This is Josie, and we're talking about a revolution. And don't forget, anything you want to talk to us about or have us just approach on the show, you can always contact us at TalkingRevolutionNow at gmail.com. All right, Joe, what do you want to talk about first today? Well, if you haven't heard, and if you can't tell, it is hot. (laughs) It is indeed. It is so muggy. It reached record temperatures in Siberia on the North Pole. Over 100 degrees for the first time in recorded history. New research finds that record-breaking heat wave in Siberia is directly related to greenhouse gas emissions caused by human activity. This research was done by UK Met Offense, and they warned of widespread melting of Siberia's permafrost, and that's going to be sparking wildfires. It's not just in the North Pole. In United States, temperatures reached 128 degrees in Death Valley, one degree shy of the all-time high of recorded temperature ever by mankind. So in response to all of this, there's many prominent environmentalist leaders have signed an open letter calling for a halt for investment fossil fuel exploration and an immediate end for fossil fuel subsidies. In this letter, they're calling on member states of the International Criminal Court to make ecocide an international crime. This letter was co-signed by Greta Thunberg, who says that world leaders need to face the climate emergency. I want to go back for a moment with the Death Valley record here. 128 degrees, right, Fahrenheit, if I heard that correctly. I want to point out that, correct me if I'm wrong, but this isn't just a record for Death Valley. So the record you're talking about is like the hottest temperature and air temperature recorded on Earth, just an open air temperature, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's not just for Death Valley. It's just the hottest open air temperature recorded on Earth. It's 100, 129 degrees. And that actually t- took place in Death Valley itself, too. That's ridiculous temperature. I, w- I can't even imagine that. In other environmental news, though, this is good news, Will. A federal judge ordered the Dakota Access Pipeline to be shut off and ordered it for- to be emptied of oil. Nice. That's good. Which pipeline? If you don't know what the Dakota Access Pipeline is, many indigenous activists and water protectors have been fighting this battle for a year in North Dakota at a place called Standing Rock. It was a very historical protest because many tribes gathered in this location to protest the installation 
and construction of this oil pipeline that was going to be transferring crude oil from Canada and the water protectors were concerned that the pipeline would contaminate their water source. Indigenous communities from all over the Americas joined forces for the first time. It was a historical event. Many of these tribes had long disagreements and joined forces to protect this water. And they finally won. And this was a historic win. So what I want to do is take a second to thank everyone who put their life and body on the line for this environmental cause and people who keep up the fight. Thank you. And we will keep this momentum going to shut down all pipelines and keep all oil in the ground and to use this momentum to push for renewable energy is to move our dependence away from fossil fuels. So, Will, I just want to say that we've been having a lot of bad news, one thing right after another, and this is one win we can sort of hang our hat on. Let's put another win on the board. Let's keep on putting these wins on the board, Will. That's what I want to hear. We are going to keep it going, and I want to talk about the NRA currently. The NRA is apparently... America's longest standing civil rights organization. That's what they claim online. If you look up NRA, go to their homepage. The NRA chief, Wayne LaPierre, you know Wayne? Yeah, I've heard of him. He's a piece of work. He's rallied his members of the NRA with warnings of, quote, jackbooted government thugs who will try to, again, quote by Wayne LaPierre, take away our constitutional rights, break in our doors, destroy our property, and even injure or kill us. He's dared to even utter the words, if you have a badge, you have the government's go-ahead to harass, intimidate, even murder law-abiding citizens. Jesus Christ. He's been able to do this without pissing off the people in the right-wing media. They still don't denounce Wayne LaPierre for demonizing the police force. And if you think that his rhetoric is fear-mongering, you're correct. But it's just because who the message is aimed at. They're not meant to represent everybody. And that's what's truly sad about the situation here. Because these things are happening in our homes. Throughout our country, on a daily basis, they still don't all get recorded. You can't sit here and tell me that they do. And people act like, at times, things are getting worse. No, it's just we've been able to shine more of a light on things. These things have been happening for the history of our country. And for some reason, the NRA never stood by Botham Jean, nor Breonna Taylor's family in the aftermath of their murders by police officers. This happened in each victim's home, in their own home, where the cops that murdered them had no justifiable reason to even be there. Breonna Taylor was asleep in her bed. When both of them got murdered, the NRA suggested if he had had a gun, he possibly would still be alive today. Breonna Taylor, as I said, whenever she was asleep in her bed, the cops decided to execute a no-knock search warrant and let themselves into her home. And her boyfriend thought they were intruders 
breaking in, him being a legal gun owner, opened fire, and they fire back, and a bullet strikes and kills Brianna Taylor. When she went to bed in her own home, sure that she would be able to go back to work as an EMT, Philando Castile was killed in 2016 by police officers after a normal traffic stop. And he told them in the proper manner that he had a gun and had his license to carry his gun. He was asked to get his license and registration. And as he goes to get his license and registration, the police officer fires and murders him. He's not able to reach and get his wallet or anything in his wallet. The NRA, when they finally spoke about this instance after a year, their spokesperson, Miss Dana Luesh, she wouldn't even say anything against the police officer that murdered Philando. She wouldn't criticize the police officer. And she used the kind of rhetoric that Trump used during Charlottesville that things could have went better on both sides. She then had the audacity to make a pitch for the NRA carrier's guard guard. This is insurance through the NRA that if they deem that you rightfully shot somebody, that they will help you fight in court. Like they'll provide court costs. And somehow she said that if he had had this, maybe that would have protected him. What the hell, Joe? Like how am I going to even take advantage of an NRA carrier guard card if it's in my wallet. And when I'm asked to retrieve my wallet to produce my license and registration, I'm gunned down before I can even do so. Is she calling for him to go ahead and use the gun that was in his possession on the cop so he wouldn't have been gunned down himself? Because if he was actually going to shoot the cop, to begin with, would he have ever told the cop he had a gun in the first place? And we could go through the names of the victims that the NRA hasn't stood by. It'd take hours, probably days, to be honest. But they're quick to defend people like George Zimmerman, who he now autographs packets of Skittles while wearing his Confederate flag for profit. The NRA doesn't protect all of our liberties against the Again, Wayne LaPierre's, quote, jack-booted government thugs. They only protect the ones that fit into their identity politics, the ones that promote their political agenda, the ones that give them their money at the same time as checking off the first two boxes along with it. It goes even further to show you that not only how their members and their leaders try to talk against the Black Lives Matter movement when they should be in support of this, but they're not coming out against the federal agents coming into Oregon and abducting citizens. They're not talking about what seems to me like a secret police cropping up. When you listen to our president, he's just normalizing it like this is the only way things can be done. This is worrisome where we are going. And people like the NRA need to stand up and not forget that this is what they claim to be here for. They need to stand up for all of our rights and stop picking and choosing over their political agenda. Joe, you got something else that's on your mind? There's some crazy stuff going on in Venezuela. 
But before I get to that, I want to take a moment to remember Michael Brooks. Rest in power, Michael. You will be forever known with your fight for international struggle. You will be forever remembered for your interview with Lula. But I will always remember you and honor you for the way that you brought the Marxist conversation into the mainstream. You wanted to include everyone and lift everyone up. So rest in power, Michael. We're going to continue your fight. So in Venezuela, there was a captured ex-Green Beret in the failed USA coup that, according to the family, this U.S. State Department has failed to assist the family. There's a good article you need to check out on the Gray Zone about this. They have confirmed that former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Bill Richardson, traveled to Venezuela on Monday, July 13th, following conversations with the family of former Green Beret soldiers Luke Damien and Arian Berry. Venezuela authorities detained Barry and Damien on May 4th after they participated in the failed mercenary invasion of Venezuela with the stated goal of kidnapping the country's elected president, Nicolas Maduro. This comes on the heels of the news that the Trump administration used the looted Venezuelan public funds to help pay for the border wall in Mexico. Grayzone reports that $24 billion was looted and $64 million of that was reported to go to pay for a militarized wall on our Mexican border. So let me say this to Trump. You keep your little filthy hands to yourself and stay out of Venezuela. That goes for all of our future leaders too. Hands off Venezuela. Hands off Iran. Hands off Syria. Hands off North Korea. And hands off Yemen. Free Palestine. In other foreign policy news... A $740 billion defense bill was passed. I think it's funny how Democrats and Republicans can join forces to enrich the military-industrial complex, but then they go on recess and ignore the needs of the poor, the working poor, and the middle class. The GOP coronavirus bill includes $21 trillion for the Pentagon. That's on top of the $10 trillion the Pentagon got in the CARES Act, and that's on top of that $740 billion defense bill that passed. Many Democrats in the House joined Republicans to reject the amendment to cut the Pentagon by 10%. The vote failed to pass on a vote of 324 to 93. Representative Barbara Lee, a member of the House Appropriations Committee and Progressive Caucus, and Representative Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, released a statement on the House vote on their amendment to the NDAA that would cut the Pentagon budget by 10%. Just a little background on the budget. Since the beginning of the Trump administration, defense spending has increased every year. That's $100 billion, 20% in three years. Military spending represents more than half of federal discretionary spending. This proposal, sponsored by Sanders, would take $74 billion in savings from the cut from the Pentagon to create a federal grant program to fund health care, child care, education, and other opportunities for low-income communities. Lee said there is a laundry list of way we can better invest in American needs rather than feed into the military-industrial complex. 
She said the hundreds of billions of dollars we spend on senseless, outdated wars can be better spent on healthcare, schools, and infrastructure. Let me just say that Barbara Lee should be on everyone's radar for vice president. Nina Turner and Barbara Lee. We'll talk about Joe Biden on future episodes. We have plenty of room to hear what you have to say about this. I don't think they'll allow Barbara Lee, but she's who I'm standing for. A poll by Data for Progress shows that majority of Americans support cutting the military spending by 10% to pay for priorities like coronavirus, education, health care, and housing. And that poll includes over 50% of Republicans. A study from Center for Response shows on average Democrats who voted against the amendment received 29.7 thousand in contributions from the military industrial complex, while those voting for received on average 8.8 thousand. So there's a big gap there. Before that, on Tuesday, the House voted down a proposal by Ilhan Omar to accelerate the withdrawal from U.S. troops in Afghanistan. The amendment to the NDAA fell short by a vote of 129 to 284. 103 Democrats joined Republicans to continue the longest war in U.S. history. It's been dubbed the forever war. Get out now. Bring our troops home. Ilhan Omar said on the floor to address the critics, there are people saying that we shouldn't be hasty in leaving. To be hasty? It's been two decades. So that $740 billion defense bill passed, but it did have provisions. So this has been a big win for the military industrial complex with that $740 billion defense bill. So, Will, this seems like dark times, but there was one win in this amendment that did go for the anti-war movement, and that was an amendment to record humanitarian tolls of sanctions. And also, I don't want to be so negative. This is the first time in modern history that we have actually had a vote to decrease the spending on the military budget. So there is an appetite for it. We just have to primary those Democrat and Republicans who are beholden to their donors. We have Maurice Shingleton here. He's running for mayor in Huntsville, Alabama against Tommy Battle. And I saw him speak at the July 4th protests we had in downtown Huntsville at the park and at the courthouse. And I really liked about him that he never actually tried to use the platform to completely elevate his candidacy for mayor and very much respect that. Maurice, um, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. And I appreciate you. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you. I appreciate you joining the show, being actually my initial guest. While I'm at the Black Lives Matter rallies, um, that's one of the things that really stands out to me is looking for ways to do more to get people's word out and everything. And I was just trying to fit in where I can fit in and help out every way I can. Thank you. So can you tell us about the past that you're using to amplify your messaging currently to actually get elected? My past is based on many things that I have keyed in onto the, my platform. One is that I am not a child of privilege. I am a little bit more privileged than the children of poverty. And I know that in part of my platform, I had stated that I wanted to bring free lunches to the cho- to our children. I believe that if we are forcing our children to go to school, they should be able to eat at the place we are providing them to go to learn. And if we cannot provide that, then in all honesty, it's one of those things that kind of 
bites at me is that if we're not providing a service that we're supposed to provide, then how can we expect children to want to be there? And a lot of times my personal experience with that is that my parents were always working hard to try to make sure my, my brother and sister and I were fed. And there was times when we weren't able to eat that morning because we had we missed the bus or something like that. And we didn't have the money to go into the school and we would have to sign up. And it's many things. It's, it's kind of hurtful to tell your child and it also be that child is saying you can't eat today because something your family doesn't make enough or anything. Because I've noticed that property tax is actually what runs our schools to be able to fund them. And I don't believe that's how it should be. Not at all. And I think that's something I want to point out also is that Alabama doesn't even seem to care about trying to get a lot of revenue for anything. They'd rather push their morals down our throats than actually try to have revenue for schools. Like a lot of people utilize the lottery across this country. And it's absurd that we haven't actually taken advantage of that in other paths. Like me personally, I'm not saying you're a supporter and trying to push that onto your campaign or anything, but medical cannabis is another thing that I really think that they're just missing out on revenue. Uh, speaking on the medical cannabis, I just know that our soil is probably one of the best soil in the country to be able to grow and to be able to actually learn how we can actually study cannabis and if we and we can acquire that knowledge because it our soil is the best and there's many things that we grow here that can that shows an example that it can flourish and out there in hills green right now though there's a hemp farm and they started out just last year or the year before and it's done they flourished in the year they made over two million dollars in just that year alone and that's just and that's just with them you know producing and shipping it out to other state to another state that actually is legal there they legally have that set to where we cannot come in and our city can't come in and damage that property because that's literally revenue that is for the farmer so i think I, that is a great touch because i think we can really touch hard with that and be a huge movement to we can go along with Colorado and every other state that's actually given it a chance and it can give the opportunity to not just it can give opportunity to give money back to the whole city itself and not just the elites that have taken advantage of our community in general. Yeah. And I definitely would hope that some of the messaging, since you are a supporter of that, uh, again, I didn't want to push that on you, but if you are a supporter of that, I definitely hope that some of the messaging, if you win the election and everything is to try to let people know that we want something like what you're talking about and it not just being the hands of just businessmen and, and general because their current bill they're trying to pass right now is like just cartridges. But if I'm not able to grow cannabis for the cartridges, then I'm forced to go buy cartridges from somewhere. I'm not able to actually make the cartridges. That kind of leads it to the bad things to where people go into the black market and try to buy things that is dangerous for them that we don't provide the better way for it because as we had we saw what happened when many people got those fake cartridges from out of state and they were destroying people's lungs and in this the way we could prevent that is literally making a way for now to be able to do that and i really think we could do that here to make an example i think so too i think you're on to something there definitely <laughs> so what are your plans for criminal justice reform my plans for that is to firstly take qualified immunity away. Officers or any elected officials should not should not hold that much power to where if they do break the law, they don't get consequences. And that's not how we are as citizens and they are a part of our community. So 
if anything, I think our community should hold them to a higher standard to be able to, because it's their job to uphold the law and not break it. So on that note, as we see in COVID-19, I believe that not jailing our misdemeanors and on certain levels of misdemeanors, I think that would work, that works better to allow people to get the money they need for legal services. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt the people to not go to, to stay out of jail. And the people that go into jail is literally those who do violence and different acts of, and different misdemeanors that actually are destructive to the community. And I say destructive because it could, there's many levels to it. That's a few steps that I was thinking of. Preach. I, I definitely feel that and have several friends. This is something that's very important to me, actually, is just equal rights. When I talk about equal rights, everybody thinks we're limiting to one race or one gender or anything. And when I talk about equal rights, I mean equal rights for everybody. We should all have these same opportunities. And, th- and that goes for prisoners, like you said, that's not destructive to our community. It's amazing how, they, how they've how they worked the 13th Amendment and how they've actually kept people within the system and they just make it as hard as possible when they get out of the system to actually do anything for themselves. And something definitely has to be done about this. What's the first thing as mayor that you will do when you win? I would go down to the police station and I'm going to have a serious discussion with the chief and any officers that feel like they have enough time to give me to be able to try to find out who are their whispers, who are the people who don't stand up for what is right, and they will be dealt with. And by dealt with, I mean, they. Will, I will believe that justice is something that needs to be served, especially for the things that they did on June 1st and 3rd and continuously doing. I want to make an example of saying that we are here for change and it is time that we change out with the old and bring in the new with people that actually understand and are willing to accept everyone in the community and not just a certain bias standpoint. And with that, I want to be able to to go and learn and try to fix what the training academy, there's a lot of things. There's an officer that I had talked to recently. She has said, she had told me that the reason why she left the force is because it's all 80% physical and 20% mental. And with that, that in, in my mind is that if you, if already, if you're only gearing up to do harm and you're not mentally preparing yourself to be able to handle situations that could go wrong, other than brute force and violence, then that is, I don't think that is the way that we need to try to teach our officers that are dealing with constant different changes because everyone is different. Everyone is supposed to be handled different. But one thing has to be said is that we have to set a good example of that to our community that we are trying and connecting with our people and trying to make sure we build a better relationship with the community because I know the police force is not our legislative leaders, we do not have a great relationship with them in the community. And if we can build that bond by doing simple things that we have literally listed, I have a billboard that uh, I had I had uh, talked about on the first uh, first time I spoke in the council meeting. Um, it listed with everything this, the CDC had said that we wanted the 10 demands. And that was to fire the police chief, making sure that we release public information, making for the body cams, making sure that we try to bring out the clarification and transparency of the hiring process. And if we could do that, I think that level of trust will be able to, that way we don't have to worry about someone coming behind us and, and the cop cars, they're, they're there to protect. And I would like to try to standpoint is that one thing I keep that I was thinking about actually yesterday was that when someone has a flat tire, I personally have not seen an officer help them. I've actually 
actually just seen random kind citizens help them. And I have also been in that situation where I had a flat tire and I had to wait till the tow truck to come get it. And in all honesty, that's in my mind is that you see cops drive and I see and I've seen officers drive by. And the thing is, they ignore the people in need. And we and that's something that our legislators and people in power do is and that's one thing we cannot do anymore is ignore our people in need. And I want to try to set an example that we are guardians and not enforcers, that we were we are guardians of our people and that we will stand for what is right and not what is just an, an agenda for someone else. Yeah, touching on that, just basically what a protocol is and what they get taught and they follow to a T and don't let human process overtake them. I think cops forget they are part of the community and they are to protect and serve the community. And I think big thing they miss out on there is serving and, you know, protection. Also, like you said, I mean, you, you don't know what the hell a cop's going to do to you when they're walking up on you and you with your skin color definitely has it worse than someone like me. I, I've witnessed the white privilege that I have growing up on a, uh, day-to-day basis in certain situations and i've seen it go both ways i've seen people be too scared to do their job because they're scared to even just handle the situation properly and i've seen people go way over the top they're here to serve us and they need to definitely be put in check over that i also want to touch on something that you slightly touched on there with chief mcmurray Do you think there's a good chance that you will actually have the power to be able to replace Chief McMurray? Yes, that I do, because as I have looked to be able to do that, we, I would need to make sure I have the power to extra legislators on my side, because I know that the chief himself somehow appoints two or three other people in the seat. But the thing is, is that I believe that the first moment is to making sure I bring someone to the table that is actually able to do what we are trying to do as a community. Because I know it won't be done overnight. It can't. It won't be done overnight. Will not be. It's going to take a lot of research and a lot of time and a lot of people to also to help to try to figure out who would be the best candidate to be able to label themselves as the chief of police that is ready to serve. And I want to find that candidate. And I know a lot of people have been looking around and they have and I've seen a lot of people make suggestions and I want to try to focus on those to see what what they have in the past and what they want to try to bring to the table and actually their voice, because sometimes I know that the training officers and other people of power inside the police department, their word is final. And I want to find that person that said, no, your word is wrong. And I'm not going to deal, not going to deal with this because this is wrong to the community. And if we could find those, and I know the ones that the good, and then everyone says there's good cops, bad cops, but I will say that in my opinion, in my opinion, that the good cops have left the system that literally pays, pays them to do horrible things to their citizens in sometimes that's just the view that I have and I'm not bashing any other police officers but that's just how I see it and if we could find those co- those officers who literally made it made it a they're just to not follow what their current rule was which is to abuse and to torment people in poverty and, and people of a certain stature then we can try to build something even better and I completely agree with that we've had war against the poor for them at least 70 years, if not longer. And they use hot button issues to try to divide us amongst each other instead of raising our ire to the people that it should be raised at. Big thing that we do want to do with this is, again, just give a voice to the voiceless and people that want to get their voice heard. I definitely don't want to steer your questioning in in any ways. I want you to take a few moments and just 
give us what you want to share with us. A few things about myself is that I am a man that will gladly put himself on the line to do what is right. I have made mistakes in my past that have given me the ability to teach others to not make those same mistakes and a better path to doing what is good for them and not what is destructive for what is around them. One thing I can say is that I enjoy learning from other people because I know I'm not a know-it-all. I know that I don't know everything. I I was I had a hard time trying to get the whole this thing set up on my phone. <laughs> I think that one thing, and this is my opinion, what I have been told is that we need to have someone that is ready to listen and ready to not only understand, but is willing to take the time to process and figure out a plan and present it to the people and not just give out saying, we're going to do this just because I said so. That is not how I want to do things. I want the community's trust to say, I'm going out here to set this up. If you would like to join me, we could do it together. And that's one thing is that I am proud of myself on is that I love bringing people together to do one common cause. And if we can literally work together to do huge things in our city, then let's get it rolling and I'm ready because it is time that our community is ready for a listener, not just lead, but to bring people together. And thing that I can do is not only have I sat at the table with leadership and people who have money, I have also sat at the table with who have to have nothing because I am one of those people that have had nothing. I have sat and they have lived their life beautifully, even with everything that was given to them. And they have bounced back. And I want to give opportunities to everyone to say that we care for everyone in our city, in our community, and that we will have the power to do it as long as our leadership and our community works together in one fluid motion. And I'm here to go ahead and set that bridge. Yeah, teamwork makes the dream work, man. I really like that you pointed that out, that you don't know everything and none of us know everything. And I think that's very important for us to all realize. When you look at the leadership we have in certain places, too many people think that they know everything and don't want to get off onto that trail or anything, but look at 45 currently. This man just acts like he knows everything about anything and it's just a danger to us. I really appreciate the time you have taken with us, Maurice, and I think you have such a great message and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of what you can do. I wish you the best on the election. And like I said, do you have any call to action for anybody to help out? I am at the park five to six every day at the East Side Park. My team and I, we go out there and people that join us, I personally do an eight minutes and 46 timing so I can give a tribute to those. And I tell people about why I wear my handcuffs and that is for the injustice, for the ones that lost their lives due to police brutality and everything of criminal justice. It's a lot of people have told me it's powerful, so I want to keep rolling with it. And it sets an example because anyone can be arrested at any time doing anything. And that's something that I don't want. And that's another thing that I really want to be able to preach to people is that Black Lives Matter and we are all together to try to build a place that we can all matter, that we can all live in peace and harmony. We just need to take care of what is wrong with our system first before we can get to our utopia. And if we do that together, no one would be able to stop us. That's right. And again, I thank you, Maurice Shingleton, for your time. Again, guys, don't forget, what's the election date again, Maurice? August 25th. August 25th, everyone. Make sure you get to the voting booth to vote if you're in Huntsville, Alabama. Thank you again, Maurice. Thank you so much. We got Keith Young here, leader from Black Lives Matter in Huntsville, Alabama. How are you doing, Keith? 
Man, I'm doing all right, brother. Thank you for asking. I'm glad you could take time to be with us. I know both of us always work a lot, so it's hard to make time for each other, but I'm glad to actually finally get you on. Yeah, man, anything for the cause and people trying to help it, that's that's what's important. That is what's important. And that was something that I was telling Maurice yesterday when this was just one of the best ways I knew to actually try to help out and get people's voices out there and just trying to do my part. So just... For you, Keith, to you, what is the main goal of the Black Lives Matter movement? The main goal of the Black Lives Matter movement, I know I can't speak and I won't speak for anywhere but Huntsville. For Huntsville, I know that our main goal is to affect change in a peaceful way and to not allow the lives that have been lost due to police brutality and systemic racism to be forgotten. And to more than that, to not allow our future generations, white, black, Asian, whatever, what have you, to be affected by the same things that generations of people have put you know, their heads in the sand over. We're attempting to draw a line in a place that considers itself past that. Recent events have shown us, and I've known my whole life, that is not the case, and people are waking up. Our main goal is to keep that fire going and to affect change in a positive way for everybody. Yeah, we use the moniker Black Lives Matter, and it is to advance Black people who have not had a solid foothold in this country for years. It's mainly to advance that. But at the same time, we do not want to be misconstrued as some sort of hate group or anything like that because we're so far from that. This is for everyone. I, I can't even express enough how many people have messaged me moms, dads, different things. And they're, they're not black. And they're talking about how they thank us for stepping up for the future generations, for stepping up because their kids will come home from school and talk about how they're afraid for their friend. They're afraid for their friend, Devon, or, you know, Tariq or whatever. They're afraid because they're not sure if they're going to make it when they see on TV that people like their friends get killed and nothing gets done about it. And parents across the board are upset about that. I would have never realized that had not stuff started happening in our own city limits to make people want to speak up like that. So the Black Lives Matter, to me, is a movement against the mistreatment of humans. Then, like you said, I think it's very important people do hear that and realize that this is for every, everyone. I saw on social media and I liked how it was worded that all lives can't matter until Black Lives Matter. You know, something that stands out to me, actually, is when you look at pictures and videos of civil rights movement back before our time and everything in comparison to now is just how diverse, multiple diversities yes. in this movement. And like I've actually seen places like Moulton, Alabama, where there's not even any minority in the crowd, basically. Just everybody is actually coming together over yep. this, and it really makes me happy. I also want to ask you, so defunding the police, is that something you believe in? And if it is, what does that statement actually mean to you? Because I know you can't put what that actually means on a poster or anything for a protest. Defunding the police, for me, I believe it means reallocating their, across the board, their ridiculous amount of money that they get to spend, that we take from public programs and public services and helping our children learn, helping our elderly, helping the homeless, and we divert to them year in and year out, just grow these enormous funds for the people who refuse to listen to the people with our own money. So at some point, if you're not going to listen, then our money does not need to be used to fund you guys brutalizing us. 
for me, I don't understand what's been so difficult for people to understand about that part of it. Now, as far as the schematics of getting that done and things, I think that, for example here, I think in Seattle, the fund for them is like 200 something million dollars a year and nothing else in their fund is even close to three figures for education, public works, transportation, any of that. Nothing even comes close to it. It's ridiculous. It's not even let's not even say the lion's share. They have all the money from the city to do whatever they want. And that, in a nutshell, is what we're dealing with. Do we have any situations anywhere where the police need tanks, where the police need Humvees, where the police need assault rifles across the board when they're dealing with civilians and citizens of this country? When you're talking about defund the police, I believe people only hear, oh, you want to take away money and make us unsafe. In a literal sense, the math, and that's what I like, numbers really, the numbers behind it all dictates that if I took and gave the Seattle Police Department $60 million, they would still be able to do their jobs. They would, and nothing would change. They would still be able to do everything they've been doing. It bothers me personally when people act like when you say defund the police, that you're speaking about some sort of anarchist type of thing, taking their jobs away, disrespecting them. No, this is to respect everyone in our society. Why can't you take, for Seattle's example, why can't we take $160 million and spread into the schools and spread into housing and spread into building the city other than policing the city? And and, and I think that is the main part of fund the police because that part will affect change across the board because then everything else will sprout up from it. From planting that seed, you'll have a flower sprout up of a better society and people are afraid and people don't understand. And naturally what we don't understand, we fear. I 100% agree. Like we could be using them funds to, like you said, put more into the education system and you can put more funds to things that can help out the police. There's no reason to send the police to deal with a lot of situations when it comes to needing like a psychiatrist or something to actually talk someone down. Camden, New Jersey was doing interesting things that I've noticed over the past, I think it was last year, where they got rid of their police force there and installed a county police force. And the way they're handling things there is going a lot better for them. And I hope that keeps going well for them. I, I remember doing some research on that. And I looked up, I was like, is there any town that has actually done this and it'd been effective. And from all the reports I could find and anything I could, you know, get my eyes on and my brain to read, there is nothing negative from the townspeople or any of the surrounding people about what has happened. In fact, the crime rate dropped dramatically. I can't say what, why it did. I, I don't think it's because people aren't reporting. I don't think it's because there is no one to report it to or people just decide to stop doing crime. I just think that once you have over policing and you have people out who are supposed to be looking for something bad all the time, and then they are not trained to deal with the myriad of situations that are going to occur, as they themselves have said, and they are one, a reactionary force, two, the arm of the law is not about understanding. They're there to get something done. They're there to react. And once you take away a reactionary force who only has a baton, a gun and daggum uh, taser to handle a situation, well, then you've dwindled down the options of that person who already does not know how to handle these other situations. So we're putting these officers in terrible positions 
to make decisions. And I don't think that it's their fault. I think it's the system fault for how we have it set up. It's set up for us to lose and it's set up for them to be the villains at the end of the day because we do not give them the options that we see as a community that would be effective. Powers that be refuse to change anything and we as the populace have woken up and we understand that these are the things that are hurting our communities. We have to keep waking people up to this stuff because, I mean, if they're not going to give us what we need to happen through peaceful reform and legislation, like we have to spark a revolution. There has to be something done here. We are in the midst of a big political season currently. So we have 45 running for office, obviously, as the incumbent, which he is horrible on a lot of aspects of this. He just comes in and he stokes the fire constantly with the the words he says, and he doesn't really get behind any kind of policy that does anything to progress. He um, constantly wants to have these round tables where he wants to pick and choose some good stories that the cops have done, or he wants to just justify cops in any way he possibly can and act like they're being demonized. Um, But you also have him running against Joe Biden, who has a history of being on the wrong side of criminal justice issues. And he currently doesn't even support legalization of cannabis, which I think at the essentially is a lot of times racist policies because the enforcement of the drug laws in our communities primarily fall on the minority community. Do you think there is any way between these two choices that we can get the change that we need out of either one of them? I think that we're in a pickle, like a baseball pickle. Once again, I don't believe that Trump has the right persona to be the leader of the free world. And I don't believe that Biden should even be a choice. He's creepy, for one. That's a whole nother story. Two, it's like you said, his political rap sheet is terrible. He's been proven to be a liar. He's been proven to be a plagiarist. And he's proven to pander. I cannot stand anyone who panders. And that goes for both of our options here. But I will say <laughs> this. I don't think our political system was set up for the people to win anyways. And I have to say that I think that one of the main reasons that we have some sort of distaste for Donald Trump in general is because he's going against these systems that have been in place. But I have to ask anyone, what have any of these systems ever done to make our country great in the first place? They obviously weren't working and they were being misused and corrupted. And I think that what we're seeing is the media use him as a scapegoat for something that they refused to acknowledge before. Not saying I like the man. I definitely don't want him to be president. But right now, for me, it comes down to who has more experience doing it. And that's what, unfortunately, the only thing I can really hang my hat on because I only have these two choices. So I'll have to hang my hat. I'm not going to vote for him. I don't care. But I would have to hang my hat decision-wise on that for the continuity and safety of the country. But I think that at the at a micro level, some laws, ordinances, amendments, whatever you want to call it, have to be changed and put on the books for any of this to ever really make sense. Because we're always going to be looking at Trump and saying, well, you're stupid and you're doing this not by the books and by the books. But I don't think one thing that a lot of people don't ever ask or even have the conversation about is, what did these laws and stuff that we that he's shirking, what did they ever do for us before? 
what other president actually used them effectively. So I can't really fault him for stepping around them when really they were just obstacles. It would seem that because whenever I've looked at stuff that he's shirked, it's looked like, okay, well, that would have been an obstacle for actually what he wanted to get done when he's done stuff for black people, when he's done stuff for child trafficking, the stuff that he stepped around and just done it because he's like, I'm the president, I'm going to do it. The media holds, they stay on that, but they refuse to talk about the fact that, well, he just went around an obstacle that we wanted to put up so that some people could shoot down what he was going to do. And eventually it turns out that something positive might have happened. Now, there's a bunch of negative things that have happened also. But I I do want to say that there is a disconnect in this country with just acting like he's terrible. So sometimes you have to step outside the box to affect change. And I think that's what we're seeing here. But we're not seeing it come from what we would want to see. Had we seen someone eloquently speaking like Obama actually do something for the country and kind of just say, hey, I'm president and I'm going to do this. And if it helps, it helps. And if it doesn't, that's I'm going to take that as responsibility. Instead of just walking on eggshells their entire presidency, we would understand that. But what we don't understand is seeing someone who doesn't talk the way we want them to be talking and we're accustomed to what we think a president should be actually affecting change. I honestly think he has no control over the media and things. And the media wants to vilify anybody who is different. We've seen them. They vilify people. My main thing is we're looking at these, these two presidential candidates. Yeah, both of them suck. But one of them actually does have merit. As tough of a pill as that is to swallow and as hard as that is for me to actually say, I'm a person who does research. I'm an objective thinker. Nobody thinks for me. And at the end of the day, when I look at the things that he's literally done, I can say, you're not presidential, but you've done things that a president should do. If I was going to vote, he would get my vote, but I'm not voting for him. I'm hoping that we have a third party someone come in and just blow our socks off. I'd have to stick with the fact that there has been presidential action shown, but not presidential demeanor. And those are two different things. There's a lot of ways you can go in this. And me personally, like I'm very anti-fascist and um, that's really a big problem with Trump with me is that the things that he is sidestepping at times is should he truly have that power. But you are correct. The system is broken also. And this is a thing, like you said, I'm an objective thinker and everyone wants to demonize everything about 45. And yes, I can demonize lots of things about 45. Trust me, I do not like the man just like you said. But what I really got out of him is that it showed us that there is enough people in our country that is tired of the status quo of the political establishment that they will vote against the bullshit that's happening over and in our country. And I think it's time to actually do something here. And I have a different call personally, and it's about using this as a weapon. And like I said, we can talk about this sometime even further if uh, if you want to think on it, digest it. Right now, we're on the verge of turning some states blue that should never go blue never because of Trump, blue. like Texas right now. Texas is on the verge of going blue. If Texas goes blue, the Republican Party is about to have to scramble and re-strategize their whole way of thinking. Because if they can't win Texas and they're not going to be able to flip California to their side, they'll probably never win presidency. So the Republican Party is going to have to try to become one with the people eventually. So either there's going to be a path where we can try to take over that party who, again, doesn't have the delegates and the super delegates like they do in the Democratic Party, who they screw over people like Bernie Sanders and stuff. Or 
or the Republican Party can cease to exist and people like us can come together and be that other second major party. Because that's the sad thing about our country is that it's only built for two parties and they're both controlled by corporate interests in our country. It just buys everything. Real quick, I wanted to touch on one thing you said about his mm-hmm. fascism. It actually correlates with what I had said earlier about the fact that the system, not just our laws and stuff, but how we give all of our presidents power and the abilities to do these things. I think that was an eye opener for me is the fact that all he did was go through the little loopholes that all of our presidents could do. That was very eye opening for me as we call him fascist acting, which, yes, a lot of these things definitely are. You can Look right back at daggum Nazi Germany, and it'll tell you the story. Is that's the main thing that jumped out to me? Is that oh, so even if we get Trump out of here, who's to say the next guy won't say, well, heck, now I know I can do that stuff. I didn't think that the American people would allow me to, but they did. They did with him, and that's where I think if we actually want to not have a a person like Trump in office, you have to take away the ability for that person to just do whatever they want. We as an American people never thought the president could do that. It's been proven to us that he always could. And that's frightening. Oh, yes. It's frightening. The precedence he is setting, just like you said, I've been preaching this for over three years now after I've seen some of the things in his presidency. I actually gave him a chance. I did not vote for the man. (laughs) I didn't vote for either one of them candidates. What he is doing is really dangerous and it's setting a precedent for later people because I think a lot of times that our current president He doesn't know what's going on. Like he said, he had a learning curve and he just acts. I don't think it's definitely ill intent a lot of time, but just think about the next person that acts on this precedence with ill intent and what they can do. And that's dangerous because like you said, it's very true. We have a broken system. We have to fix the loopholes and we have to be able to elect Congress members that's not willing to just willy-nilly give their damn rights over to the president throughout history. It's crazy to me. I do want to ask you, they're trying to demonize Antifa around our country and act like they should be labeled as a terrorist organization. I'm not trying to associate you with Antifa in any fashion, but I also think this is Similar, they also try to demonize the BLM movement across the country and act like most of all these protests are violent acts and they're trying to destroy the cities and stuff. Uh, What do you say to the people that suggest these types of things about primarily peaceful protests uh, amongst the two groups? And then we can't even get a organization like the KKK labeled as a terrorist organization. (laughs) I think, honestly, man, I'm pretty sure I've had this conversation with several people up to this day now. I'll have to say, what does it seem like, man? It's pretty clear that one's more black and white than any gray area thing that we could actually say is involved with it. It's just like. For example, the NRA has never wanted to get assault rifles, semi-automatics, whatever you want to call them, banned until you had the Black Panthers exercise their rights and then go up to state capitals fully armed and scare the hell out of everybody. Why? Why did it scare everyone? This is something that we all could do. Why would you be afraid? It's because they were black. You know what? I did not see the protesters for the stay-at-home, I-don't-want-to-wear-a-mask-cry-babies. I did not see them ever be accosted by riot-suit-wearing police. It's almost like not only do they want the problems with the public when it's Black Lives Matter or they think Antifa's there, they do not consider the white part of society a threat like that. Or they simply want to keep black people in their place. 
that's what I got from the whole thing with, with the Black Panthers back in the day when I learned up on that is that, hey, whoa, you guys. No, 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 no. Not you. We meant us. Crap. It's in law now. So we got to change the law. And that's what they attempted to do. And then now you've got us out here again. Black Lives Matter, which has been embroiled in this conspiracy crap. The George Soros, he's paying us. Good God, where's my check at? Exactly. Thank you. I, mean, I could quit my job and, and just do this all the time, but I can't because no one's paying us because people are out here. It is unconscionable to me that human lives can be lost. And then in the midst of that, when everything's settling and people are trying to negotiate that in their hearts and spirits and they decide, well, I need to speak on this. I want my voice heard that people would shut it down by basically saying that doesn't matter to us. In fact, your Black Lives Matter chant is going to be returned with an All Lives Matter chant. And ironically enough, you will never see an All Lives Matter because up to date. I've asked several of them, come on out to a protest then. It's great that you think that. Yes, all lives do matter. That's what we're basically trying to get at because ours have been discounted for a long time. So yeah, all lives matter. So come on, come to the George Floyd Park, come to the Dana uh, Fletcher. We're going to go change. Well, look, no, I'm not doing that. Well, I thought you said all lives matter. I don't see you out there when a white person gets killed. I'll see us talk about it. I don't see you out there when a black person gets killed, an Asian, a Latino, whatever, what have you. I don't see an all lives matter anything. I don't see any groups that affect you. They go out and counter protest a little bit. They might drive by a protest, roll the window down and say it real snarkily and then speed off. They do things like that. But I haven't seen any All Lives Matter people do anything to walk the walk, to actually say All Lives Matter. I honestly, genuinely don't want to create a divide by talking and saying something that is going to make the allies and the people who we want to convince and get on our side to understand that our lives matter too, to make them just discount it. But at this point, that's what they wish to do. You're basically telling us that our stuff does not matter when your rebuttal to us just simply saying that our lives have merit too, is that, well, all lives do. Like I said, it's unconscionable to me that through people's pain and mourning and fear for their children, their moms, their dads, their granddads, their nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, when they have all that fear and all you can say is, well, all lives matter, too. And in fact, I'm not going to be at a damn thing to show you that I actually mean that statement other than to discount your statement. I feel like that's where it's coming from with the whole Black Lives Matter is getting labeled as this and that. You just have people who don't want to hear it. They're tired of hearing it. They're tired of thinking about the fact that their neighbors and friends and co-workers and other American citizens have fear when dealing with certain situations. When you wake up with this tattoo of black on you, you have to understand that you're gonna be treated differently. And I wake up like it every day. So it is ridiculous to me that another statement could be actually spun around to be about the masses that these people who say it don't have any intention of helping out the thousands of black people killed by cops. They don't have any intention of going outside their home and saying, hey, this is my voice and hear me, I'm upset about it. If it mattered so dang much, where are all of you at? Not a single one of you is at anything. As far as Antifa thing, Antifa is not a terrorist organization. and It stands for anti-fascist. It's a mindset. And technically, America is built on anti-fascism. That's what our entire country is about. So it's very weird to me that a mindset would be considered terroristic. We fought wars about that. that one to me is just weird. How do you call something that's not an organization, doesn't have group meetings? For example, they went, they went on my friend's Facebook page and took his pictures and stuff and said he was Antifa. 
and put him on black. I've never seen or heard of him doing anything like that. It's just weird to me. And like I say, it's fear. Yes, it is fear. And they're not trying to understand. They're just trying to fix a perceived problem, which in this case would be people not stepping in line with them. But they also need a common enemy. Yeah. You got to have a common enemy to fight the movement that's coming up. You have to rally them against us. They can't allow us to overtake them at all. And they're scared. I hate to say it like this, and I get a lot of crap thrown at me from certain parts of the community. But I mean, the racist part of the white community is scared of becoming the minority. They're scared of losing their power. They're scared of having (laughs) to be on the level playing field. I mean, once privileged people have their privileges taken away from them they think they're being persecuted when they're really having the playing field leveled out (laughs) what's very prevalent to me is that those people who think like that do not understand the hypocrisy of them not at all giving any credence to the fact that we wake up every day thinking like that so as far as i'm concerned with that thought process too bad So sad. Join the club. Mm. You know, in the white community growing up, the talk to me was about sex and having safe sex. Uh, A lot of them don't even understand what the talk would mean to you. Talking to a lot more white people now, being one of the leaders of this movement, people reaching out and wanting to understand more about black people. It's something I have learned is that one, most white people don't know anything about us. They just take what they see on TV or they're told and they run with it. I'm either a football player or a rapper when people see me, and that's it. And it's funny sometimes, but now I'm 29, and it's just like, dude, you've never met a black doctor or a black manager. Like, what are you talking about? That stuff really bothers me. But to touch on the point that you said, like, when I was growing up, look, I was born Germany, lived in Japan after that. I never experienced racism. My parents broke up when I was eight, and we were flying from Japan to America. I remember over the sea of blue, that was just awe-inspiring, just breathtaking. My mom in the seats, me and my brother, started telling us that the place we're going to, people weren't going to like us because we didn't look like them. They weren't going to like us, and they were going to think we were less than because we didn't look like them. I can't explain to you how confusing that was for a little boy. It was always so weird to me. People were always very, like, you act weird, you act different. I'm like, because you guys are okay with this. There's a system that's been set up, and everyone here is just like, that's how it is. And I will never forget that. And now tell people about that, and they're like, well, you know, racism is everywhere. I was like, I didn't experience anything like that until I got to this country, and people were following me around stores, and my everything my mom said was true. People were going to call me names. People were going to look down on me. People were going to think I was dumber. In Japan, Germany, that was never a thing. It was just live and let live, basically. And it's it's just wild to me that we've been brainwashed into thinking we live in the best country on the globe, which is, it's amazing country. But the problems with it are glaring and hidden. And I think that's one of the, another thing that has to be spoken about is that we have to get more understanding between the two factions that seem to be butting heads here all the time. Because at the end of the day, I might have argument of conversations with some angry white people sometimes. I might even be angry. If both parties take enough time to talk, and this is 100%, we realize that we're humans and we just needed understanding. But if we're just going to listen to the media, if we're just going to look at our neighbor and then go inside the house and never go say hi, then we're always going to think that that person who doesn't look like me hates me or they're different or they don't belong. And that's something that I think can just be affected by people getting off their ass and having conversations. I don't care how uncomfortable, because at the end of the day, the discomfort will be so much less once you do start talking to people. 
you know, and I, I think that you being a, a podcast host probably understand that better than a lot of people is the fact that a lot of the times you've probably had conversations with some guests and things. Yeah, I'm going to ask some uncomfortable questions, but then you understand. I bet you they understand. I'll understand. You'll understand. Everyone will understand each other better and understand that, okay, there is something that we need to do to affect change for the people who are my American citizens. I think we have to start thinking like that because when we start talking about black and white and all this stuff, everything gets muddled. Everything gets muddy and diluted with history and, and blah, blah, this and blah, blah, that. Well, what if we just start here and try and affect that change with, like I said, an overhaul of our political system, an overhaul of how we police ourselves or allow ourselves to be policed, and then just making a concerted effort to have our next generations understand that they are people. They're all people. And what one gets hurt, it should hurt all of us. But the people in power need to understand now that when you knock one of us down, two of us are going to stand up. This will never stop until there is change. So whether they don't like it, whatever. No justice, no peace. No racist police. No racist police. <laughs> what we do like to do here is give a voice to the voiceless. I don't like to just completely steer the conversation or anything. Is there anything that you want to just get off your chest that you think you want to get out there for the people to hear? Don't stop, y'all. Do not quit. Even you, William. Everything that we do now, we have to remember, is for those who can't do it anymore, laying dead in the streets for hours, laying dead in parking lots, getting killed while they're crawling down hallways, in hotels, getting killed while they're begging for help. Don't stop. Because if we stop, then all of that's in vain. And then one day, when you have a child, when I have a kid, they're going to have to deal with it, and we're going to feel foolish. That is what I'd like to impart to everybody is this. A couple idioms that I like to talk about is, one, it's not really a story, but I'd like to ask everyone, if you've never heard the story about the boy who saved the trapped crocodile and then the crocodile ate him when it came free, oftentimes the payoff for good in this world is bad. And that's what you have to deal with to get to the good. So do not be deterred. Still do good. That crocodile may eat you, but it can't eat all of us. That's real, brother. And it's just continuing the love. I love you guys for everything you guys are doing. Love you too, brother. Just don't stop. Got to keep going. Thank you. The last thing here is how can people get in touch with you in case they do want to come help out and everything? I have a Facebook page that you have to look for so we can keep the derps out of there called Black Lives Matter Huntsville. You can look that up. If I look at your Facebook profile and see that you're real about it and see that you didn't just start in 2020, you have a good chance of actually getting in there. We post a lot of events and everything. We're pretty coordinated across the board with all the activism and citizens who want to change things. As you already know, we're pretty coordinated across the board. Look up Keith Young on Facebook. I'm pretty open. I like to answer all questions and talk to a lot of people because, like I said, that is how we're going to affect this change. And I think is one of the biggest divisions is people not actually communicating. I would be remiss not to be in the position that I found myself in and not walk that walk of the talk that I talk. Find me on Facebook, Keith Young. That's what we want. We need people to come out. So if you get in contact with me, you're hitting one of the heads of the snake, as it were. And I promise you, our fold is all love. It's all love. Yep. I appreciate you being here, Keith. It was great talking to you. And we're definitely going to have you again if you're willing to be on here with us. Thank you to all the listeners for joining us. And thank you to, for our guests. Keith Young and Marie Singleton. You can reach us at talkingrevolutionnow at gmail.com. We'll see y'all next week. And guys, I appreciate you all again, just like Joe's just said. It's been a great first episode. 
Appreciate anybody listening. And just to echo his sentiments, uh, Keith Young, Marie Shingleton, we appreciate you so much for giving us your time. I wish you the best of luck, Maurice, for mayor. And Keith Young, anything I can help with Black Lives Matter movement. Always there and always have you guys in my mind. Love you guys. And also, make sure, guys, to, like Joe said, he gave you our email. Let us know what your thoughts are on all the subjects we talked about on today's show. And if you can, give us an audio clip. If you just leave us a text, we'll read it and go through and use it as a talking point. Shed light on your ideas. Because, again, this is a spot for us all to have a platform to be heard, no matter how little you think your voice is made. Thank you, guys. See you next week. Peace out.